Sometimes you meet somebody or someone comes to you and they have a truth. They're trying to explain something to you. could be a teacher in a class. It could be your mom trying to explain to you why you need to wear a hat in the winter. It could be all kinds of things that kind of come your way. And you just, you struggle with it because you can't quite see it. And it feels a little bit like this. Can you see the face in the picture? There's a revelation right there. How many can see the face in the picture? Yeah. Now the rest of you are like, you prearranged this, Pastor Mark. There is no face in the picture. Now, notice though, once I show it to you, you cannot not see it, right? Here it goes. There it is. And you go, oh, how about here and this? Can you see the face? Ah, you guys saw that. How about this? Can you see the cheetah? How many can see the cheetah? Yeah. The rest of you are like, ah, I don't know. There it is. How about the giraffe? There he is. Ha, how about the coyote? The first service said this was a Where's Waldo picture. There's the coyote. How about in this picture? You see it before I tell you what it is? There's an antelope, yeah. Cool, huh? Now, when you see those things, and someone's trying to say that, and I was, I was reminded back in the 80s and 90s, this might date me, um, they had those things, those dot pictures. Do you, I can't remember what they call the magic something. Remember those? And they'd say, just look through. I could never do those. They go, yeah, you got to squint kind of right. I thought, no, this is a sanity test. You're just messing with me. I just could not see it. Now, here's the deal. Where we are in the book of Galatians, and interesting enough, this is probably Paul's first letter. So can you imagine, as a rookie apostle, he's beginning to address these different concerns and complaints. And what the people are basically saying to him is, we don't see it your way. We can't see it. And Paul is just saying, believe me, just believe me. And he's going to describe and he's going to tell why they should believe him. Um, But as you can see throughout all of Paul's letters, there's always this ongoing challenge of getting people to really resonate with what what he's saying. So whether it's at Corinth or whether it's at Ephesus or whether it's at uh, Colossae, any of those places, you get the letters because people are not seeing the truth that Paul's seeing. And you probably experienced this when you became believers, when you start telling certain people about, you know, Jesus and, and your relationship with Jesus, they don't all see it, do they? They don't all get it. And that's when it gets really serious because we're not talking about, can you see the antelope or the giraffe or any of that stuff? We're talking about stuff that's life and death. And that was the case with a man named Ignace Simovels, who right here, I was looking at this little kind of drawing portrait of Ignace. I thought, maybe I should work that hairdo. What do you guys think? But this guy was a brilliant man. He was an incredible man. How many of you have actually heard of him? Yep, Sandy. Yeah, it makes sense because you're in the medical field. This guy was the father of wash your hands. 
And during the time, in the 1840s, here he is, and he, he did a lot of stuff with delivering children. And in that day, actually, the doctors, particularly surgeons, kind of wore a bloody coat as a coat of metals. So the more goop and, yeah, yuck they had on their coat, the more important they were because they were in the real messy cases. Now today we go, you've got to be kidding me. What would you do if you're scheduled for surgery and your doctor walks in with messy hands and a dirty coat? Right? Don't take the anesthesia, run out of there. But we all know that now. Here's what happened to Ignace, is that he began to present, he did his own experiment first by washing the tools, the different uh, medical tools that they were going to use, washing the hands, assisting that the group does, and surely all these different infections started to drop. So he began to record these things. And at a time when about 35% of the people that were delivering children would contract this certain kind of infection and die, his hospital had less than 1%. Now here is the crunch. When he presented it to the medical field, you know what they did? They wrote him off. Can you imagine how maddening it would be to know what could easily save lives and no one's listening? So he kept trying and trying and trying until finally, at the age of 47, this brilliant man was locked in an asylum. Literally, in a sane asylum. He went crazy because no one would listen to him. And he knew the truth. And sadly, in the first year, actually it was only 14 days after he was committed, the guards beat him to death and he died. A lonely death because no one would hear the truth. Wow. Paul's in the same place. He's telling these people the truth. He says, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not something that a man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. That's kind of part of the problem, isn't it? Have you ever had God speak something to you or tell you something and no one else can really get it? Like when I, I didn't even have words to describe the, that I was called. I just told people initially I felt like I was supposed to work for God. I didn't even know what you called it. But people who would hear that would go, you? Ah, I'm not so sure. So Paul is bringing this update because he's saying, listen, you guys, please listen to me. He's trying to get them to see. In the first service, it was kind of cute to watch because a lot of the couples one of them, one of the spouses would see the picture and the other one would be like, um, I don't know. And they'd be pulling in one another and pointing and going like this. And that's what Paul's trying to do. He's saying, look, look, look at this. Keep looking, don't give up. But the problem that we run into, especially with important things like biblical truths, is that too often when people can't see it, what they do right away is go to a place where they discredit you as the messenger a.k.a. the prophets. How'd they do, people? These are people coming with the very words of Scripture, speaking them to the people of God, and what did they do for a thank you? Pow! They didn't have guns. They threw rocks. And you just go, really? So what hope is there for us? If we're supposed to be, in a sense, these modern-day spokespeople for God, how do we communicate to people 
especially those people that don't seem to see the truth of our message. And Paul gives us two things in this section of Scripture that really helps our heads get around there. And you need both. They're like two sides of the same coin, heads and tails. You need both the things that Paul's laying out. First, you need to know how to articulate your personal story. Your personal story with God. There were some times when I first became a believer, and these hooligan friends of mine would find out. In fact, I I found out that they were finding out because I got a message back from somebody that said, people think that you're in the Himalayan mountains and that you're some kind of a weird monk. And I said, really? That's the latest, greatest around college? And they said, yeah. And I said, wow, i got to talk to some of my old friends and find out what they think. There was all kinds of crazy stories. I joined a cult that I always wore orange. <laughs> Only in the fall, right? Fleet Farm orange. And then, you know, so there's all these crazy stories. But I needed to be able to articulate what happened to me. And you know what? I couldn't deny it. This is what happened to me when Jesus knocked on the door of my heart. And sometimes I felt like Ignis. I felt like I was going crazy. Did I really? Is that really? Does that ever happen to you? Where you, where you wonder, really, is this happening? And you wrestle, but you need to articulate your personal story. And then secondly, and maybe more importantly, that story has to be evident in your life. So when I talk to people, and when you talk to people, what is one of the biggest complaints they get about Christians? Judgmental is one. Someone else said it, though. Hypocrites. They preach it, but they don't live it. They say it, but they don't do it. And so Paul is is giving us an idea of, okay, I want you to figure out where you were, what your old, your A, your BC story is, and then I want you to figure out your AD story, what God is currently doing in your life. Let it be alive. And so he gives us the BC picture here. He says, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Wow, dude, you got anger issues. And he's saying, this is where I was. This is my story. This is is the place where God got hold of me. And you you guys have heard my story probably ad nauseum. Like, Mark, please don't tell us again. You know, but you you know that I was a pirate and a rascal. Fair enough. But one of the most beautiful things in getting to know my wife, Betsy, is to hear her portrayal. She was the all-American girl. She still is. She's an all-American girl. But I can remember talking to her about when Christ came knocking on the door of her heart, and she said something that astounded me. She said, I was really convicted about how proud I was and how hard I worked at being self-sufficient. And I thought, you? You did something naughty? But it was the awakening of the spirit of, see this. And so for her, that was the B.C. time. I once was this way. I once was this way. And then the important thing is to realize the, the A.D. after that, what happens? And here's what Paul says. He says, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith. He once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. One version said they praise God because of God in me. I like that. See, Paul's not just talking about what used to be his life. He's talking about, I'm free from that, so here's what I do in life. Here's the life I live. 
My story didn't stop back there. It really just started and launched me into this new place. And so Paul is, is, is living out his story, Christ in him. And as he's doing that, they're praising God. And this is the key. This is the key to keeping your Christian faith fresh, is asking yourself, Lord, today, what might you have me leave behind? Let go of. And what would you have me reach for and lay hold of? What's new? So many believers that I watch as they get 20 or 30 years under their belt walking with the Lord, is there's a certain kind of dullness because they've let that go. That same Savior wants to save you, so to speak, again today. Me as well. He doesn't want me to stay in one place. He wants me to realize, Mark, I didn't just set you free to get you halfway there. Keep gone. I've got more for you to do. I've got more for you to lay hold of. I have more of me that I want to give you. And this is why Brandon and I, we keep talking and praying and talking and praying. And we realize over and over again, we've got to to keep encouraging you. We have to keep encouraging us to listen, what is God doing now, right? What does he want to do now in my life? When you sit down at the desk at work, what now, God? When you sit in class, what's happening, Lord? When you're driving on the road, when you're going to see the neighbor, when you're in the grocery store, we're continually training ourselves to ask the question, Lord, where you go, I'll go. Where you lead, I'll follow. Where you stay, I'll stay. Show me. So I want to talk with you a little bit this morning, kind of a heart-to-heart. I want to take a few-minute break from the sermon, and I want to talk with you about church here, now, life at Bridgewood. It's, It's been a really challenging time. I think it's been challenging for a variety of reasons. Shifting staff, shifting culture, shifting ideas of what church should look like. Kind of a shifty time, isn't it? And about two and a half years ago, we as a staff and we as a leadership team began to pray and say, Lord, really why does Bridgewood exist? Why are we here? What's the story? And the more that we prayed and the more that we listened and the more that we talked and the more that we thought and the more that we prayed again, we realized we got to go back to what Jesus said. If you're going away from a group of your most prized students and the last thing that you say to them is go make disciples, that seems important, doesn't it? Is there any question about that? And we had to look at ourselves and say, are we really doing that? Are we really helping one another do what disciples do? Because disciples listen for Jesus. He says, come, follow me. And then we go. We don't sit. We don't wait. We we listen and we follow. And so this is not easy. This is why a lot of churches say, no, I'm not doing that. Because most of what we see in church now is a building with a lot of activities that fill up your calendars, and everybody's busy, 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 busy. But are we really doing discipleship? And I'm not an expert. I'm the first to tell you I'm not an expert, but I'm desperate to learn because here's the deal. 
you guys, I, I don't want to play church. Do you? I really don't. And this has been really, I think, in my 30 plus years of ministry, a time where literally, I mean, I'm, I'm back to waking up. I woke up last night at 2.30 and was up. Wrestling. God, why, why, if this is what you want, is this so hard? Why, why is this so challenging? I really want to do it with you. I want, to, I, want to, I, want this, I want us to be known as a bunch of crazy Jesus people that follow Jesus. Not just here, everywhere. It's like, oh, you're one of those? You really believe? Yeah. Hmm? I'm following him. And it hasn't been easy to figure this out. How do we do it? How many of you have our parents or have been parents with children? How easy is it on a scale of 1 to 10 to plan and execute a family vacation? It's a little bit what it feels like. One big family vacation. I'm just trying to get you in the van. And really we're praying. And so we've been thinking, and, and I, I want to say this to you. you know, we, we, we hooked up with a group called 3DM because they had a head start in thinking about discipleship. They're learning. They'd be the first to say they're learning too. But long ago when we did this, I mean, part of what they were saying then, and we're reconsidering how we do this, was don't stand up on the stage and say, we're going to execute this discipleship program. Because what people will naturally do is say, well, I want to sign up. How many of you want to be earnest disciples of Jesus? Just raise your hand up. Really respond. Get up high. Don't be embarrassed about it. You really want to be a Jesus follower. See? So if I say, all right, we're going to do this, you're all going to sign up. And then the question is, is who's going to lead it? What kind of experience do they have? What kind of training? What kind of format do we have to really do this? And you know, to be honest, I've been, I've been immersed in, in, in learning and trying to pray through and think through for the last three years, and, and I'm a, like a C-plus student. And that's being generous to myself. I don't have to tell my mom that I'm less than that. Well, it's a C-plus. Well, it's a plus. But seriously, it's so challenging. And so we have started slow. I just say that because I want to say this to you guys. I don't do this job to cut anybody out. I don't do, that's not why I do this. My heart is to have everybody in. I was talking with someone at the end of first service, and they said, well, what, what, if you could describe your church experience, how would you describe it? I'm a restaurant guy. I would love that every time we get together, it's like your best restaurant experience. Food's great. People are great. Service is great. You're happy. I'm happy. We're all happy. And I'm not on drugs anymore, you guys. But I have to be honest about my heart. That's my heart. But what I realize as we go along is this is much more difficult to get people really connected together and get people thinking about how do we help one another follow Jesus. And so that's what we've been working on. That's what we still feel like we need to be working on. And we're, we're, we're going to do some talking with you and some thinking with you as we go along. But there's little glimpses that have blessed me because we, we, we haven't done it super well but anything that's worth doing is worth doing badly. You hear me? Is that, do you agree with me? Anything worth doing really is worth doing badly because it's worth doing. And we all start out uh, like Little League trying to swing at this 
bad. I, 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 can, I can go back to watch little kids at T-ball and they smack the tee. You know, it's like, well, that's a good swing. Get the ball. And so we're, we're getting into the swing of things. But there was two things that happened recently to me that began to stir fresh hope in me and to realize that the Spirit in you guys is stirring, is helping us move. The first thing is, is as fall comes, I'm praying like mad about small groups, and we have taken several runs where we've tried to organize these groups and then funnel all you guys neatly into these groups. And I believe in community, and I believe in small groups, and I think good things happen in them, and I think sometimes bad things happen in them to be honest with you. But I'm a, I'm a small group guy. And I felt this time, and the staff agreed with this, that we, we, we couldn't force fit, but we needed to let the Spirit do what He does. And so, praying this way, I have this guy come to me, and he says to me, Mark, every time you and Brendan say, what is God doing? I've been praying. And he said, it's taken me a while to hear, but I think I'm supposed to lead a small group. And I was like, thank you, Lord. I said, tell me what God has put on your heart. And he began to describe what we would have called a huddle. And the Spirit is speaking to this guy, the same thing that we're trying to do with discipleship. And, and I, I was amazed that the Spirit... And then I remembered, wow, Paul would go into a place and he would preach the gospel and he would leave them for years, new converts, without a Bible. They didn't have a Bible, people. Trusting the Spirit to do what only the Spirit could do. Right? That's astonishing. Let that blow your mind, because that's a mind blower. And I thought, oh, yes, Mark, let that blow your mind. Of course the Spirit's going to do this. And then um, for the last couple of years, I've been burdened for marriages. You guys know that I'm a marriage and family guy. I, I told Betsy when we got engaged, I said, listen, I, I will work hard and try to get money for our family, but I promise you this, in my life, if I die, and I'm known as a decent husband and a decent dad, I've died well. I, I, I want to do it well. And, I, and early on in my call, God said, help people do that, Mark. And so he, it's been so busy, it's like, Lord, would you please raise up someone who can help with marriages? And so, lo and behold, John and Laura Moline have been praying. Would you stand up, John and Laura? So these guys have been praying and, and they, they're very involved people here at, at Bridgewood. And they came to me and they said, Mark, we've been praying and we think we need to shift our focus to building marriages. And so they are going to start this fall a marriage group. They're going to be out at the host desk if you want more information. But that was awesome. It was an answer to prayer. Would you give them a hand? So you realize at this moment that the Spirit of God is really doing this thing that we're calling discipleship, hearing God and obeying God, following Him into it. And oftentimes we don't get a chance to talk about it, so it's hard for you to see it. But I want you to realize that's what we're going for. This shouldn't be a church with just a few pastors. This should be a church packed with a bunch of pastors who are busy doing ministry and not just reaching for any old thing, but doing the God thing the thing that God has put in your heart and the thing that God is moving you to. Because when that happens, this is when truth becomes irrefutable. Look at what Paul says. He says, but when God, who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace, unmerited favor, was pleased to what? To reveal his son 
in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man. Notice what Paul is saying here. This is so important. Before Paul preaches, his life preaches. The best thing you can do is live a sermon before you give a sermon. The, and and the, so when you hear that, oftentimes we feel like, oh, I got more I have to do. Mark, you should look at my calendar. It's a disaster. And we feel like this lady looks. Oh, man, I'm busy enough, and now God's going to start to lay things on me. But don't lose sight of what Galatians is all about. Paul just said it. If you go back to that verse, he said he called me by his grace. Grace is that favor coming to your life that helps you do what you should do, but cannot do on your own. And so you're connecting the grace. And this is why Paul will say in the next chapter we go to, he says, listen, the life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's Jesus in you. And so when I first became a Christian, I, I didn't know what to tell people about. It was only, I was only two weeks old in the Lord and I went home to see my family. And my brother, who's seven years younger than me, when he saw me, he looked at me and he said, what happened to you? And I said, wow, I, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, did you shave your beard? I said, man, I, I didn't have a beard. And he, he said, there's something different about your face. There is? He, he said, yeah. So the more he talked, I asked a few questions. I go, oh, it's Jesus. He said, what? So I told him about Jesus. And then he said to me, he goes, well, can I have Jesus in my heart? I said, sure. So we did what I knew to do. I just said, ask Jesus in your heart and I'll say amen with you. So he did. So an hour later, my sister, my kid sister comes home. She sees me. She says to Matt, what happened to him? He, go, he goes, why do you ask? He goes, he's different. And, and so he says, well, he has Jesus in his heart. She goes, can I do that? She comes and asks me. She says, Matt says you have Jesus in your heart. Can I have Jesus in my heart? Sure. <laughs> Why not? It's what everybody's doing, right? Let's do it. And then the next day, my sister Lisa, who makes me look like a good schoolboy, she was just crazy. She comes and she asks Matt, what happened to Mark? Because he has Jesus in his heart. She says, can I? He says, yeah, you should go ask Mark. She comes and asks me, can I have Jesus in my heart? Sure. See, Jesus in me is doing what Jesus does, calls people. When he is lifted up, he will what? Draw all men to him. It wasn't Mark. I didn't come in and go, chop, chop, family. Spencer family, sit down. I'm going to tell you some key biblical truths. It should convict your heart. You should read Jesus. And if you don't receive Jesus, I'll shoot you. Right? No. And so it's so important that we realize that our story, what has God done in your life? What is he doing in your life? It reveals his life. Let it shine. Hide it under a bushel? I'm going to let it shine. Right? Don't hide it under the bushel. Because Jesus is in you. I was thinking about this between service. I wish I would have been this witty in a job interview. 
So Mark, what's special about you? I have God in me. Just think about that. You guys are looking at me like, you're really not smart. But can you imagine the conversation? I mean, I don't know if I, I'm not necessarily recommending that. Maybe, if the Spirit leads. But here's the reality. Do you? Do you have God in you? That's not a rhetorical question, ladies and gentlemen. I'm serious. Do you? Do you wake up in the morning with a fresh revelation and understanding? I have the risen Lord in me. Come on, people. Come on. It's time to preach. Preach with me. You get up, you look in the mirror, and you go, Oh, I'm glad I'm going to get a new body. That's fine. But realize what's inside the body. You have Jesus in your life. Come on, people. Seriously. Jesus is in me. This was Johnny the Bagger's story. People didn't think Johnny could do much. And he attended this little seminar that they had to for this big grocery chain out west that he worked for. And this woman came, her name was Barbara, and she spoke, motivation, she said how every person is a gift. And every person has a gift to give. And Johnny, who was 19 years old then, Down syndrome, had been told all of his life that he probably won't be able to do very much. So he thought, well, bagging groceries is about as good as I can do. But something that this woman said aided him, and he couldn't let it go. So he kept thinking, thinking, and thinking. And finally, he found Barbara's number, and he called her. He said, listen, I'm only 19. And some people say that because of my downs, I can't do much. But I think I can do more. And she encouraged him. She said, listen, Johnny, you can. You're not here for no reason. You're here for some reason. You need to find that. So bless Johnny's heart. He began pressing in and listening for what it was that was stirring in his heart. And he realized, he said to his dad, he said, Dad, I got it. What is it? He said, every day, I want to encourage every person who comes through my grocery line. How are you going to do it? He said, I'm going to write them notes of encouragement. And I'm going to cut them all like little fortune cookie things. I'm going to put them in their bag. Great, let's get started. So they got started. They made 50 pages, six on a page, cut them up. And the next day, Johnny was there in the line. As people would come through, he'd stick it in there. And he goes, I sent a message in your grocery bag. Make sure you notice it. Have a great day. This is Johnny, the 19-year-old Downs boy who can't really do much. Well, a month later, the store manager calls this lady, Barbara, and says, you won't believe what happened here. She says, well, I want to. Go ahead. Tell me. She goes, I was making my rounds. When I got to the cash register, the line at Johnny's checkout was three times longer than anybody else's. <laughs> word had gotten out. If you want a good word, go to Johnny's line. He's got a new and good word for you every day. So, um, you know, the manager, had, he'd get on there and he'd say, you know, there's other checkout lines. They'd stay in Johnny's line because Johnny was making a difference. So these things just kept stirring and stirring and stirring in, in the store until several months later, she calls Barbara back again, the manager does, and says, you can't believe what's happened. Ever since Johnny started bringing his little good words and dropping the bags, it's contagious among our staff. We have people that will go out with umbrellas when it's raining and guide people in. We have people that will go around and, 
And they'll notice that a little old lady's trying to get that can of baked beans on the shelf, and they're, they're there in a minute. And then they'll put a little smiley face on the can of beans and say, have a good day. Even the butchers, who were the famous bad guys in the grocery store, are wrapping their meat with ribbons. <laughs> All because a little boy named Johnny said, let's do this. How much more if you and I say to Jesus, Yes, let's do this. Let's do it. I don't know what that call is going to be, but I know it's there because Jesus is in you. And I know it's going to be good. And I know it's going to make a difference. And I know it's going to make Jesus stand out in you. Ladies and gentlemen, you are the hope of Bridgewood Community Church. You are Bridgewood Community Church. I'm not. I'm part, we all are. What a beautiful thing for us to stand up out of these chairs and say, yes, Lord, whatever. What a story. Amen? Amen. Would you pray with me? We're going to take our offering, but offering is always a good time to offer our prayers, offer our concerns. So listen with me. Are you, in your story, are you stuck in the past? Or do you feel like your, your present and your future is kind of stuck because you can't get past your past? Give that to Jesus in a fresh way. Be like Bartimaeus and cry like mad. Lord, Lord, notice me. Heal me. He wants to. That's his story coming to your story. If you've been listening and, and you say, Lord, I'm not quite sure what I should be giving myself to or doing, just say, Lord, I offer myself in a fresh way to you. Whatever you want to do, I'm game. And I know your grace will make it possible. Lord, I pray for all of us. I pray that we would have a fresh dose of grace. Fresh dose of you, Jesus. That you would enable us to live out our stories with courage and abandon. Because it's an unbelievable story. Even to us sometimes, really, Jesus is in me. It's true, though. So as we go to this offering, let us offer ourselves in a fresh way as you offer yourself to us in response. In Jesus' name, amen.